God, not, not from our hands, but that they know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and has provided something for them. You know, that's the purpose of that. And uh, the Boy Scouts can pass out turkeys. When the church gives something, we give it with the very blessing of God. And there's a big difference in that, isn't there? Yeah. Not to put down the Boy Scouts. They're a great group, but you know what I mean. Hey, next Sunday is uh, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's our Thanksgiving Sunday. It's our annual. We do it every year. And uh, on Thanksgiving weekend, it's one of my favorite services because it's a testimony service. And we love to hear um, what God is doing in your life this year. And uh, we, we worship, we sing, and then we give testimonies to give thanks for what God has done this year. I don't preach. It's, uh, it's a service really devoted to Thanksgiving. And I love it. So looking forward to that next Sunday to hearing what God uh, has done in your life. And some of you have already shared your testimonies throughout this year, but it's kind of great to, you know, you can play the repeat because some of them are really great to hear again, and they're really encouraging. So that's next Sunday. This morning, if you would turn to Luke chapter 18, I'll be there in a moment. You know, we were just talking about, um, we were just, one of the songs we sang this morning was celebrating the faithfulness of God, right? How do you know that God's faithful if you don't go through something? You ever thought about that? Like, there's some of these concepts, you know, like courage is one of those. You don't really know you have courage until it's tested, right? doesn't seem right to claim to be courageous if I've never had to do anything that was courageous, (laughs) you know? And faithfulness of God is the same kind of thing. It's like one of those things where how do I know that God is faithful unless God has taken me through the flame and I've seen his hand through it? And And faithfulness is something that I see in hindsight. It's not necessarily something that I know right now. It's something that I look back on and I say, God, you were so faithful. Look at that. There's your hand. There's, see, that's faithfulness. And this morning, I want to, I believe that, I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that that's what the Lord, that's what Father wants us to do today. And um, some of us, uh, I want to encourage you in the race. And I want to encourage you to wait until it's done. Sometimes we, um, we jump the gun on God. We jump to conclusions. And when we jump to conclusions, we sometimes jump to the wrong conclusion, right? And boy, does it take discipline sometimes to, to sit still, to wait, to let this thing play out in order to see how it ends, to bring it to the right conclusion. And sometimes we short circuit and we hurt ourselves by jumping to a conclusion. You, that, you that making sense? It's kind of like, you know, I've, uh, I like to bake, and our daughter is gluten-free, and so we've learned all kinds of great gluten-free recipes, right? But there's one thing that I have learned about gluten-free baking. It's this. The dough is really bad. The, it's not like regular cookie dough. Like regular cookie dough, you can eat that, and that's delicious just by itself. You don't even have to cook it. But if you try eating gluten-free dough, it just has kind of a nasty aftertaste to it. But then when you cook it, it's delicious, right? I actually have a gluten-free brownie recipe 
that I like better than regular brownies. It tastes, yes, <gasps> some of you, I'll share it with you afterwards. We'll, uh, we'll compare recipes. But it's really good. My point is this. Some things, some things have to come to a conclusion in order for them to be fully appreciated. And if I jump the gun too quick, if I'm dipping into the dough, sometimes that's nasty. It's not, right? I need to wait. And my father is a good father. He knows what's best for you and me, and he knows when it's best for you and me. And I have a word for you this morning, and then we're going to get into the scripture, and that's this. God has blessings for you that are so great that if he were to give them to you now in the condition that you're in now, they would ruin you. And so he's preparing you for these greater blessings. And he knows when is the best time to give them. He knows that if I gave you this right now, and he's such a good father, he's so good, he's got so many great things, but he knows if he was to give you this particular blessing, this thing that, that's on his heart to give you, like he, do you, do you see his heart? The father wants to give it to you. He's, I mean, he can't wait to give it to you, but he knows that if he gave it to you right now, it would ruin you. You just, you wouldn't be able to take it. And so he prepares, and he's patient. And that's why I love Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, being confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it forth to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is all about, he's perfectly content to stick in the process, to carry it forth to completion. But see, what we want to do is I want to go right to the end. I want to go right to the finish line. And God goes, well, no, but we got this race we're running here, right? And God is faithful, and here's what God is. God's willing to stick it out with you all the way across the finish line. The question is, are you willing to stick it out all the way across the finish line? And my message to you this morning is, put your sneakers on, get back in that race, start running it again. Jesus is running it with you, and he wants to cross that line with you, but there's a race to run, and you can't just jump right to the end. There's a process at work here. This week, this scripture passage has been in my mind a lot, and so sometimes when that happens, I assume that's God. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, been on my mind all week. So let's read it. And uh, unfortunately, this is often, this is called the parable of the persistent widow because, and I say unfortunate because you know that, that it's preachers like me that have called it this, that Jesus did not actually sit down with his disciples and say, hey boys, I'm going to tell you the story of the persistent widow. Write that down, Peter. Go ahead, quick. He didn't do that. This is a label that guys have put on to it after the fact. And I say it's unfortunate because it's really not a story about a persistent widow. As I read it, you'll see what I mean. Re chapter 18, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God 
nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Let me read that again. Jesus tells us to do what? Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, mm -mm. he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is telling this story, and we know that the story from verse 1, the story has a, we know the purpose of the story is to encourage us not to give up. That's the purpose. It, the Bible tells us that right there, right? So we're not making that up. But then we read about this widow who is persistent in, in go, coming after this judge. But then Jesus goes, but I want you to listen to what the judge says. So who's the story? Who's the focal point of the story? The judge, not the widow. That's why I say it's kind of unfortunate that we call it the parable of the persistent widow. It's really the parable of the grumpy judge. That's really what it's about. And what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting, he's drawing a contrast between this grouchy, this grouchy judge, right? And this guy's a piece of work. I mean, right? You see him? The guy's like, I don't even care what people think. The guy's got a complete attitude. And he goes, the only reason why I'm even paying attention to this lady is just because she's bothering me. I mean, he's a complete grouch. And Jesus goes, I want you to know something. Your father in heaven, he is not like that. Sometimes we learn by the contrast, right? So Jesus paints this judge out to be a real nasty guy. And then he goes, the point is this. Your father in heaven, he is not like that. He's not selfish. He's not a grouchy judge. He's not slow to act. In fact, he says this, Jesus says, will, your, will not he see that you get justice? And quickly, he says, quickly. God acts fast on behalf of his ones. And then Jesus ends this story with this last line. And this is kind of what grabs me. Because it seems sort of out of place. It almost seems like Jesus has changed his tone, you know? He, he tells us this great story, and he's making this great point. Grouchy judge, God is not the grouchy judge, and he's acting quickly. And then it's, I don't know, I don't know how you read it. I kind of picture it like Jesus, he softens his voice, and he, and he kind of gets personal. Because he's, now he's talking about himself, right? He's the Son of Man. And he says, however, when, when the Son of Man comes, that's himself, will he find faith on the earth? It's kind of like Jesus gets pensive for a moment as he's telling this story. And he says, he says, I wonder, you know, 
when I, when I come back, I'm even going to find people that are sticking with it. I'm going to find people that, have, that are, are still running, that are persevering, that are, that are, are being persistent, that are hanging on. Am I even going to find that? Am I going to find faith on the earth when I, when I come back? I find it interesting. So there's two lessons that we really can grab out of this that are obvious ones. The first one is this. God acts quickly on our behalf. And the second lesson is that God's definition of quickly and our definition of quickly, two different things. And I learned this. That when God says, I'm going to act quickly in your life, that he means quickly. But I need to adopt his definition of quickly and not mine. And it also means that when I don't get an answer right away, when I'm seeking God for an answer and I don't get an answer right away, how many of you have done that? Anybody not gotten an answer right away? Okay, every hand goes up. It's all of us. When you don't get an answer right away, What it doesn't mean is it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Sometimes we jump to assumptions, don't we? Like I said, we jump to conclusions, don't we? And we jump to the conclusion, oh, I didn't get an answer. I must must be in the wrong. And then then I love the judgmental Christians that say, oh, well, really, you're just being selfish, and that's why God didn't answer your prayer. You're being selfish. And I think, oh, that's so helpful. You just blessed me, brother. Thank you for that. You know, that's the truth. It, you know what? You know what I think? I'll just tell you my opinion. I think God understands your selfish prayers. We're his kids. What child isn't selfish? I'm sorry. I, I love my three kids. They're all selfish, right? And they all want stuff from me, always. It's just how kids operate, right? And so God understands that about us, does he not? We're his children. Of course we're selfish. Of course we ask things. So I don't think you can write it off and say, oh, you were selfish. That's why he didn't answer. No, 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 no. God answers selfish prayers all the time. So that's, don't jump to that assumption. Don't jump to the other assumption that says, well, I must not have had enough faith. You know, you got to have enough faith, obviously. And so we try to, some people do that. And they think we've got to work up enough faith. But you know, Jesus said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it'll be moved. So clearly it's not about the size of your faith. It really isn't. So that's not it. You've got you to take that off the table. The other assumption that we make is, well, it must not be God's will. If God doesn't answer it right away, it must not be God's will. That's not always true either. Remember, God acts quickly, but his definition of quickly is not your definition of quickly. What if God's definition of quickly is you wait for the rest of your life, and when you die, you'll get that? From God's perspective, he has acted quickly. And I have to assume that someday I'm going to get there and go, oh, yeah, that was fast, God. (laughs) But now it's not. Have you ever noticed that when you're waiting, when you're waiting, it seems like forever. And then looking back, it went fast. Like right now, we're waiting for Christmas. 
you think, oh, if you, if, especially if you have little kids, Christmas is like an eternity away from now, right? And even for us, I mean, hey, I love Christmas. I can't wait. It's only a month or so away. It's going to be awesome. If, that feels like forever. I can't wait for it to get there. And then when it's done, you look back and you say, man, where did the time fly? That's the nature of waiting. The nature of waiting is it's longer when you're in it, and then when you look back on it, it was like that. So I wonder if someday I get to heaven and I, I waited for all of my life for something, whatever it is. And yeah, boy, that was fast, God. But during the 70, 90, 100 years or whatever that I walked this planet, boy, that seemed to drag by. My point is this. Don't make the assumption that it's not God's will. Just because it didn't come in a week. How long are you willing to wait? A week? A year? Ten years? A lifetime? What if the purpose in waiting, what if the purpose of Jesus telling this story was to really reveal the condition of my own heart? And Jesus is saying, Rouse, how, what, what, how stick-to-itive are you? How persistent are you? How, how faithful are you? How, how good are you at waiting? Let's, let's not answer that right away. Let's see. True? What if the wait is really a test of my own character and it's not a test of God's goodness? That actually the wait actually is God's goodness because he's forming something in me, in you, that he couldn't form if he just handed it to you like that. Some of the hardest lessons, I'll say one of the hardest lessons in the Christian life, and I struggle with this one, is that there are some things that God can only teach me from a distance. Sometimes God pulls away in order to teach me something that he can't teach me from up close. That's one of the most painful lessons in life. Because I found that in my own Christian walk. I'm like crying out, God, where are you? God, where are you, God? Why can't I hear you, God? Why don't I hear this vo- Where, right? <clears throat> and God, I believe, is a good and faithful father And he's only doing that because there's something he can teach me in pulling away that he can't teach me from up close. And I trust him in the process. And there's something that he can teach me in the weight that he can't teach me when he gives it to me right away. And I find that my willingness to wait reveals the level of respect I have for the person on whom I'm waiting. Waiting is an act of love. Impatience is an act of hatred. It's an act of pride. Let me illustrate it. So when I wait, waiting, I'll put it this way. The lesser always waits on the greater. So if I have an appointment on Wednesday, let's say this Wednesday at 11 o'clock, I have an appointment with the President of the United States. I'm going to fly to D.C., Tuesday night. I'm not going to risk 
flying Wednesday morning and having something happen, right? So I'm going to go a day early, and then I'm not going to show up at the White House at 10.59. I'm going to show up at the White House at like 7 in the morning. I'll be one of the first ones there. And I'm going to sit in the waiting lobby, whatever it is they have there, and I'm going to wait until my appointment at 11 with the president. And if at 11 o'clock the president's assistant comes out and he says, oh, by the way, he's been really busy, kind of gotten behind today, it's going to be a little while, I'm going to say, okay. And I'm going to wait a little while longer. And I'll wait all day if I have to wait until whenever, until he gets the chance to meet with me. True? Why? Because of my level of respect for the office. The president of the United States doesn't wait on me. I wait on him. See? When I show up at the doctor's office, I expect to wait. The doctor even has a waiting room. That ought to tell you what you're getting yourself in for, right? It's a waiting room with lots of old magazines. It's like, hey, buckle up, Buster. You're going to be here for a while. The doctor's behind. It's, he's always behind, right? And somehow we do it. Why do we do it? Because of our respect for the doctor. So I just come to expect. That's what I do. I wait The lesser always waits for the greater. My willingness to wait demonstrates my level of respect for the person on whom I'm waiting. So it's actually one of the ways that I can love my wife. And it's not that she makes me wait all the time, so don't take it like that. I'm just just an illustration. My wife is wonderful. But I have had to wait on her a few times in 30 years. You know what I mean? Waiting for her, is an act of love. It's, the, it's a way that I can demonstrate respect for her. Now, if I'm down in the car honking the horn, if I'm pacing the house, if I'm yelling up the stairs, and I'm dit da dit da dit and I'm freaking out over the whole thing, and I'm being impatient, I'm not demonstrating love. In fact, I'm demonstrating hatred. I'm telling her, I am more important than you. And so hurry up. See? So waiting, my only point is, waiting is a way of demonstrating respect for someone. So if that's the way that it works in my human relationships, doesn't it work so much more so in our relationship with God? He is the greatest being in the universe. Of course we wait on him. He doesn't wait on us. Follow? And if God makes me wait, he makes me wait for a reason. And ultimately, he's not even really making me wait. If I take this passage the way that Jesus says it, he acts quickly. So God doesn't make me wait. What? So I'm waiting. That's my perspective. It's not his. When I get to heaven, I discover I didn't really wait all that long. He was acting quickly. I don't know if any of this is making sense. I had notes, and then I felt the Lord say, lose the training wheels. So that's what I'm doing. That's, uh, we're going to go with that. Wait. Are you waiting? See, what we tend to do when we wait is then, like I said, we make these assumptions, we jump to conclusions, and we give up. And Jesus says, you know, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth Am I going to find a group of people who waited a lifetime or am I going to find a group of people who waited a week, gave up, called it quits, and moved on to something else that caught their eye? 
and perseverance and persistence. Yeah. There are things that God is developing in our character in this that he just can't develop if he hands it to us right away. Do you know that in the Bible, God is called a father, right? But you know that in the Bible, the devil is also called a father? You have two fathers in the Bible. In John chapter 8, Jesus called the religious leaders. He said, you guys are just like your father, the devil. That was not a compliment. He called them that. In other words, the devil is a dad too. He's the father of lies. He's also the father of liars. That's the devil. But God is also a father. True? And, you know, the test, the measure of their fathering is going to be revealed on Judgment Day. The devil's kids will slip into a godless eternity forever and ever and lose everything. God's kids will receive one reward after another reward with innumerable accolades. Like if God had a minivan, he would have a bumper sticker that says, all my kids are honor students. That'd be God's minivan. And we're all honor students, not because we're so smart. That's not it. We're all honor students because he's such a good father. Like that bumper sticker that says we're all his honor students, it's a reflection of his fathering, not us as kids. Does that make sense? He's a way better father than the devil ever could be. But you ever notice how sometimes we compare, you look out and you go, it seems like the devil treats his kids a lot better. Have you ever struggled with that? I have. You're not the only one. The Bible writers struggled, it, struggled with it. The Bible writers said, why do the wicked prosper? Why? Why is it that the bad guy seems like he just always gets fame and fortune and glitz and glamour and all the great stuff, and here's God's kids suffering and struggling along? Have you ever wrestled with that? I hope I'm not the only one. I've struggled with it a lot. It's kind of like when you were kids. You remember when you were kids? You look at, look at that other kid at school who got everything. Like his parents never disciplined them. They could stay out as late as they wanted to. They didn't have any rules. They always brought the good lunches. And then high school came around, and you're still walking to school, and their parents bought him a brand new car. Right? And you're like, what the heck, man? That kid gets everything. My, kid, my parents are cheap. They make me work for stuff. Right? I mean, you, we kids do that, don't we? We compare. You're looking over and you say, man, it looks like they have, they've got a better dad than I have. I wish I had their dad buy me a car. I heard that a time or two. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> right? And sometimes we do that spiritually speaking. Do you not look at the devil's kids and say, man, it looks like they're getting all the goodies. Why do the wicked prosper? The answer to that question is this, ready? Here's the answer. God told me the answer this week. The answer is this. God doesn't discipline the devil's kids. He disciplines his own. And the test of their parenting will be revealed on Judgment Day. True? God is a good father. Can I repeat this? He's a good father. And he has blessings for you that are so awesome 
that if he were to give them to you right now in the condition that you're in right now, they would ruin you. And let me say it again. He's a good father. And sometimes discipline is not about you doing something wrong. A lot of times, actually, a lot of times, discipline is really all about what you're doing right. Sometimes God demonstrates his favor on somebody by disciplining them. Like I remember when our kids were little, and I keep picking on my kids, but it's so great to have Catherine and Rissy here today. It really is. But this is a casting story, so you're off the hook. You're good. So when they were little, right, they used to, our son used to just hate to brush his teeth. I mean, he went through that phase. Every, every little kid does, does, practically. And every day it's a battle. You know, brush your teeth. Ah, ah, it's a big fight. Brush your teeth, brush your teeth. And I remember there was one time, one time he was especially frustrated. We were trying to get him to brush his teeth. And he just, you know, he's, he's fighting us, you know. And he cries out and he goes, what did I do wrong? I didn't do nothing. I'm like, no, you didn't do nothing. I'm not punishing you. <laughs> you know, like he thought from his perspective, you know, us forcing him to brush his teeth was a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's called discipline. True. I'm teaching him oral hygiene. Even though at five he didn't get it, right? That's my, my point is, Sometimes discipline is not about punishment. Sometimes discipline is really about what you're doing right. But the Father puts you through the fire in order to work that discipline in you, in order to shape something in your character. I'm working on a sermon. Uh, uh, It's coming. It's brewing, you know. It's like in the crock pot of my head. So I'll just give you a little taste because it's not quite done yet. But I'll give you a sample. So I've been looking at Job lately, this, this book of Job. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait for that sermon. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> Job, yeah, what a guy. And uh, here's what, so if you don't know, those of you who don't know Job, Job in the Bible is the man who suffered, next to Jesus Christ, Job suffered more than anybody else. He's, he's known for suffering. Job was the guy that in one day, he had 10 children. In one day, all 10 of his kids died in a tragic accident, a building collapse they were in, dead. Can you imagine? In the same day, a thief took all of his wealth, stripped him blind, stripped him empty. His house burned to the ground. The next day or so, soon after, he got sores, painful sores all over his body. And Job is sitting on the ash heap that used to be his house, and he's scraping his sores, the Bible says, with broken pieces of pottery that probably was his wife's fine china a week ago, but now it's in pieces. He's scraping the sores on his body with these, and he's crying out, aching, God, why? The stunning reality of the book of Job is this. Job went through all of that trial because he was righteous. What the heck? I thought if I was righteous, I'd be blessed. Everything would be beautiful. It's roses. 
It's butterflies, butterflies and cupcakes for the rest of my life. I'm blessed. You are. I'll say it again. Job went through all of that trial because he was righteous and blameless. And I'll say this. God allowed Job to go through that trial because God is righteous. They're not mutually exclusive. God was not punishing Job for something that he did wrong, nor was God picking on Job because he's some kind of a celestial bully. God is not a bully. Amen? Not a bully. He's not picking on Job, and he's not punishing Job. So what's he doing? The Bible says that Job was righteous, blameless. He wasn't perfect. He was righteous. In other words, he was a good guy. He didn't do anything heinous to deserve what he got, but he got it anyway. And what I'm seeing in the life of Job is this, that God was preparing Job for greater blessings. I'll say it again. Some of God's blessings in your life that he wants to give to you are so awesome that if he were to give them to you right now in the condition that you're in, they would ruin you. And he has to prepare you. The only way that he can prepare us sometimes is to break us. Sometimes the most broken person is the person who's the most prepared for the greatest blessings. Because I think without brokenness, our temptation is to own them, is to take them. I'll leave it at that. The point is this. God's doing a work. And he acts quickly. And are you willing to stick with him to the end? Because the end of the story has not been written yet. You're only in the middle. Will you stick with him? And do you know and trust that God has something he's doing and it's glorious and it's good? Will you wait for him? So in the meantime, I'll close with this. Three different ways to pray as we're waiting. So now, I, now, we're, now we're in the middle of the, of the race. And I'm saying, God, how do I, I want to get to the end. Three different ways to pray. Ready? You can either microwave, Martha, or Jacob. Three ways to pray. There's microwave prayers. Microwave prayers are, God, give it to me right now. I know you're going to give it to me right now, God. It's a microwave prayer, right? You expect it in 10 seconds or less. It's great. The danger of a microwave prayer is, like I said earlier, when it doesn't happen in 10 seconds or less, then what? Because oftentimes that's the case. True. A microwave prayer sets you up for disappointment. It sets you up for bad assumptions and jump into bad conclusions. So I would encourage you to not pray microwave prayers. Although I happen to think it's beautiful and childlike to come before God boldly and to say, oh God, I want it right now. I don't don't want you to think there's a sin in that. I think we should be bold. But second, the second kind of prayer is the Martha prayer. In John chapter 11, Martha was the sister of Lazarus and Lazarus was the guy that died. 
And Jesus came, Jesus said, the Bible tells us that Jesus was good friends with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. He was good buddies with them. And so Jesus came to their house, right? And Martha meets Jesus and she's like, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother, you could have healed my brother and he wouldn't have died. It's a good assumption. I would have made the same assumption in her shoes. And then Jesus goes, you know that he's going to rise again, right? And then Martha, here's the Martha prayer. Oh, I know that he will on the last day. You see what she did? She put off the answer to the great someday when I get to heaven. Can I tell you that, that your faith, there, there's a lot of now right now. God has a lot he wants to do right now. So not every part of your faith is someday in heaven. There's a lot right here that God has for you. And when we pray Martha prayers, sometimes we miss out on what God wants to do right now. Are you following the path? So the microwave prayer is right now, but you don't want to do that. The Martha prayer is sometime later, but I don't want to do that because sometimes it's now. You're completely confused, right? Then there's the Jacob prayer. Jacob is the guy in Genesis chapter 32 or 23. I might be seeing it backwards. Jacob, he's the guy that conniver, twisted, messed up Jacob. And he wrestles with God all night long. He has this encounter where God meets him and he's wrestling with God all night long. And then the Bible tells us that God says, okay, it's time to be done, right? And then Jacob says, no, no, I am not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not doing it. Okay, wait a second. When the God of the universe says, hey, Jake, it's time to go, like that's not when you argue with the God of the universe, true? And yet that's exactly what he did. God, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm getting something out of this all-night prayer meeting, God. Right? And what did he get? He got a whole new name, a whole new character. God said, okay, I'll give it to you. From now on, you're not Jacob. I'll call you Israel. Israel means one who strives with God, the one who strives, who doesn't let go until they get something. And I want to encourage you this morning, that's the way to pray. to come before God with that heart that says I'm trusting you I'm waiting on you but I'm not letting go of you I'm not letting go and I might not get exactly what I came for but by golly I'm walking away with something because I'm meeting with the God of the universe that's what I'm looking for that's the Jacob prayer That's the prayer that you pray when you're waiting. That's the prayer we pray. When I'm in the crucible, when I'm in that spot of why is this not happening as fast and the way that I wanted it to happen, why? When God's acting quickly in my life, that's the prayer that I pray. God, I'm hanging on to you. I'm hanging on to you. 
So here's my question to you this morning as we close. Are you thinking of giving up? And I want to encourage you this morning to put your sneakers back on and get running again. Because God, the the God of the universe, is acting quickly on your behalf. And I encourage you to hang on. Let's just pray, okay? Lord God, um, we... Jesus, thank you for this story that you told us about not giving up. And I just want to confess to you right now that I get tempted to give up a lot. And um, I'm sorry for that. And I also get tempted, God, to to just jump to conclusions uh, because I guess I I just want to finish something. (laughs) And yet, Lord, a lot of times the conclusions I jump to are completely wrong. So, Lord, I, I want to rest in you this day and hang on to you today and ride with you, Jesus. And I know that whatever the conclusion is, it's going to be great. But in the process, Lord, I want to enjoy you. I want to enjoy you, Jesus, in the process. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we're... I pray for these uh, this morning that are thinking about giving up, that are really just, you know, wrestling with... I know this is a tough one, God. I pray this morning that you would encourage their hearts. Strengthen them, Jesus. And uh, put some fire in their step to keep them going. That, Jesus, when you return, you would find us faithful. That's our prayer ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand